When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good Risings. I'm Jackie. And I'm Brian. And this is Grateful Grains. Welcome back. We're spending the first week of October talking logic fails. We got it started yesterday with the slippery slope. Today, we're exploring false cause. False cause is the other end of yesterday's logical fallacy, the slippery slope. Where the slippery slope is the fallacy of claiming one event will inevitably lead to another, then another false cause says it's illogical to claim an outcome is the direct result of a certain, sometimes unrelated, inciting incident. In these scenarios, it's especially important to be able to differentiate between correlation and causation. TED-Ed educator Elizabeth Cox refers to the childbed fever epidemic of 1843. She explains, childbed fever would strike within days of giving birth, killing more than 70% of those infected and nobody knew what was causing it. Obstetrician Charles Meigs had a theory. Having observed abdominal inflammation in patients who go on to develop the fever, he claimed this inflammation was the cause of childbed fever. The medical establishment forewent the very necessary step of skepticism and supported this theory. Cox continues by explaining that Meg's argument is a demonstration of the false cause fallacy, where correlation does not imply causation. When two phenomena regularly occur together, one does not necessarily cause the other. So, women who had inflammation also came down with childbed fever. Therefore, the inflammation caused the fever. But that's not necessarily true. Yes, the inflammation comes first, then the fever. So it seems like the inflammation causes the fever. But by that logic, since babies usually grow hair before teeth, hair growth must cause tooth growth. Obviously not. Cox explains, in reality, many things could have been happening here. First, it's possible that fever and inflammation are correlated purely by coincidence, or there could be a causal relationship that's the opposite of what Meg's thought. The fever causes the inflammation rather than inflammation causing the fever. Or both could share a common underlying cause he hadn't thought of. Meanwhile, Dr. Oliver Wendell Holmes had noticed a pattern. When a patient dies of childbed fever, a doctor performs an autopsy. If the doctor then treats a new patient, that patient often comes down with a fever. Based on this correlation between autopsies of fever victims and new fever patients, he proposes a possible cause. Since there's no evidence that the autopsy causes the fever beyond this correlation, he doesn't jump to the conclusion that autopsy causes fever. Instead, he suggests that doctors are infecting their patients via an invisible contaminant on their hands and surgical instruments. Cox notes that this idea outraged most doctors who saw themselves as infallible. In fact, Meggs wrote a scathing letter about Holmes' theory. They refused to consider the possibility that they were playing a role in their patient's plight. Meggs' flawed conclusion didn't leave any path forward for further investigation, but Holmes did. 
The story continues. It's 1847, and physician Ignaz Semmelweis has reduced the number of childbed fever deaths in a clinic from 12% to 1% by requiring all medical personnel to disinfect their hands after autopsies and between patient examinations. With this initiative, he proved the contagious nature of childbed fever. Then, in 1879, Louis Pasteur identified the contaminant responsible for many cases of childbed fever, hemolytic streptococcus bacteria. The moral of the story here is, just because two things are happening in conjunction, it doesn't establish cause. It's imperative that we know the difference between correlation and causation, and call it out when someone's confusing the two. Thanks so much for joining us on Grateful Grains. You can find us on Instagram at Good Risings, or you can find me at B McMuffin. And you can find me at Jacqueline M. Wood underscore one. We'll be back again tomorrow for day three of our week, Logic Failed. Until then, remember, a better tomorrow starts with today. Good Risings is presented by Cavalry Audio.